We're going to be in Daniel chapter 6. I want to read verses 1 through 5. Starting there in verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom an hundred and twenty princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. And over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts unto them, and the king should have no damage. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find none occasion nor fault, for as much as he was faithful. Neither was there any error or fault found in him. Then said these men, We shall not find any occasion against us, Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Then the presidents and the princes assembled together to the king and said thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. And you can read on from there. I don't want to get into all that tonight, but they came up with a plan uh, how they were going to destroy this man's career and how they were going to put an end to his life. I think there are many great men in the Bible. I think we could all agree with that. Uh, Many did some amazing things for the Lord. I think of men like King David who went out and slew Goliath and how he brought the nation of Israel together and the great things that he did for for the Lord, writing the Psalms. I think of men like the Apostle Paul and the great missionary journeys that he had and how he reached the world for Christ. And when you think about it, many of us have the gospel today because of the great exploits of Paul and the many churches that he planted. That great missionary church in Antioch was responsible for turning the world upside down for Christ. And there's many other great men that we could think about reading through the book of Hebrews, especially uh, chapter 11, the Faith Hall of Fame. We read about the great things they did. But I believe Daniel should be right up there at the very top of the list. If he's not at the top, he's right up there near the top. When we consider the time in which he lived, the things that he had to face, the stand that he took for the Lord, his spotless moral character, we should all consider Daniel as one of the great heroes of the faith. He was a man of principle. He was a man of conviction. He was a man who was unafraid to take a stand for his God. And you have to remember that he lived in a pagan nation, that he lived in the midst of the enemy. And in spite of that, he took a strong stand for his God. And again, I believe he's one of the great heroes of the faith and that we should follow his example. Let's open in a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the examples of those who have gone before us, men of faith, men of courage, women who trusted you and who followed the leading of your will. And I pray that you'd help each and every one of us to be men of character, to be men of holiness, to be men of godliness, to be men of faithfulness as David was. Sorry, as Daniel was. I pray that you'd encourage us tonight as we look at this portion of Scripture, that you'd help us to follow the example of this great man who went before us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in this portion of Scripture, Daniel faced a very stern test. The presidents and the princes of the Persian Empire, they were all examining his life. They were scrutinizing his every move, and trying to determine if he'd done anything that would discredit him or anything that they could use against him to remove him from this position that he held. They were trying to find something that they could use against him. Now just imagine how you would feel 
if you were going through those same set of circumstances and there were people all around you trying to find some false step at some point in your life, at something that you had done in the past, something that they could dig up and they could use against you. I know what I would be thinking. I hope they don't find that. You know, I hope they don't uncover that thing that I did. What if they find something? What if, they, what if I made a mistake somewhere? What if they make up something and they use it against me? Those are the kind of thoughts that would probably be running through our mind. And maybe even Daniel um, had some thoughts along those same lines. What are they going to come up with? Um, he knew he had done nothing wrong, but they could spin something and they could find some way to use it against him. We'll see that Daniel had nothing to fear because they found nothing against him. In spite of all their searching, they were not able to uncover one thing that they could use against him. That's remarkable if you think about it. Well, let's start there in verse 1, and we're just going to walk our way through this passage. It says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. Now, King Darius the Mede had only recently come to power. As you read through Daniel, you get to the end of chapter 5. You remember the story of the writing on the wall? Um, King Belshazzar uh, sees the hand come out, and he, they write, um, I, th- I think it's many, many uh, tekel, Eupharsin, uh, or, or yeah, Eupharsin there in Daniel 5.25. And uh, Daniel comes along and interprets it. Your kingdom has been found wanting. Uh, this very night is going to be taken from you. And that comes to pass, just as Daniel said. But before that happened, King Belshazzar promoted Daniel. Daniel told him, you know, God's found your life wanting and your kingdom's going to come to an end. And it's going to be destroyed and another's going to come in and take your kingdom. And Belshazzar promoted him to third in the kingdom. I mean, you'd think hearing bad news like that, he would have been upset. But maybe he knew the truth of it. Maybe he was deeply convicted about it. But in any event, he promotes Daniel to great honor. He becomes third in the kingdom. And that very night, King Darius and the Medo-Persian army, uh, they come in, they they destroy the Babylonian Empire, and they take it to themselves. And now King Darius is over this whole empire. And he decided that he was going to divide his territory into 120 provinces. And he was going to put 120 princes over each of these provinces, and they would be appointed by the king, and they would answer uh, to him. They would make sure that his laws were enforced. They would make sure that his taxes were collected, that his authority uh, was held, upheld all throughout the realm. And so they had a strong uh, central government, they had local government, and there was a hierarchy working its way all the way down, just making sure that the will of the king was being carried out. Now we see there in verse 2, over these three presidents of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts unto them, and the king should have no damage. So the king also appointed three presidents who would be over the 120 princes. Now, maybe they all had 40 princes that answered to them individually. Or maybe uh, Daniel had a few more because it says that he was first and the other two had a lesser amount. We're not sure. But the princes would answer to the presidents and the presidents would in turn answer to the king or perhaps someone who was very close to the king. Now, the amazing thing here is that Daniel was chosen to be the chief among these three presidents. We have to remember that Daniel was a foreigner. And not only a foreigner, but he was from a captive people, a conquered people, and a despised people throughout history. He was a Jew. He was one that was hated throughout history. 
And yet he'd been carried into captivity uh, in Babylon as a young man um, from the tribe of Judah, but yet the Lord saw fit to promote him to honor. Darius recognized his ability and gave him this position. We also have to remember that Daniel was part of the previous administration. He was serving the king of Babylon. And then the Persian Empire came along and they came into authority, or into power, if you will. And Daniel still somehow retained his position uh, within that government. He was promoted to ruler of the province of Babylon by the king Nebuchadnezzar after he interpreted his dream back in Daniel chapter 1. And, I'm sorry, Daniel chapter 2. And then he was promoted by King Belshazzar to third in the kingdom, as I mentioned earlier there in Daniel chapter 5. And remarkably, when King Darius came to power, he not only retained Daniel in his government, but he promoted him to great authority within the Persian Empire. And we, don't you see the hand of God in all of that? It would have been easy for the king to come in and to take everyone that was in authority in the, in the Babylonian government put his own people in, but he retained Daniel. And obviously God had a purpose in all of that. Now the responsibility of these presidents was to assure that the king received no damage. They ensured that the various provinces were upholding the king's laws and carrying out his wishes, that they were collecting his taxes as they should, that the king's funds were not being misappropriated, there was no corruption going on, so the princes were answering to them and they were just making sure that the books all, uh, uh, what's the right word, that the, the accounts were all as they should be. There was no discrepancies. There was nothing that was being done underhanded. It was their job to make sure that no one was abusing the system or corrupting the, their power. We see there in verse 3, it says, Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes. Now look what it says here. Because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king thought to set him over the whole realm. So in time, Daniel came to be preferred over the two presidents and over the other 120 princes. The Bible tells us this is because there was an excellent spirit in him. In other words, he was a man of extraordinary talent and ability. That's one side of the coin. Daniel was good at what he did. He had a God-given ability to administer in the affairs of government. He had a God-given talent when it came to balancing the books, when it came to ensuring the taxes were collected and everyone was doing their responsibility. He had a God-given gift to work in government, and he used it to the best of his ability. But more than that, he was a man of honesty. He was a man of integrity, and he was a man who was loyal to the king. He was not only good at what he did, but he did it with a pure heart. And I'll tell you, we need some people that have an excellent spirit in them. You may not be a Daniel, the third in command in the kingdom, or one of the presidents. You may work at a a retail store. You may work in a factory. You may be a homemaker working at home, but there's no reason why you can't have an excellent spirit in you. That means doing the best that you can to the very best of your ability. You know, increasing your talents, increasing your gifts, and doing it all with the right attitude. And that's what we see in Daniel's life. He didn't do it grudgingly, in spite of the fact that he's a, you know, he's a foreign national and, and he's one of the ones that went into captivity. He's in, a, he's in a hostile nation in a pagan country. He's still working and serving the king of, of the Persian Empire to the best of his ability. He was faithful to the king 
and he served him with no ulterior motives. And we'll see that as we go on a little further. Now, because of this, the king wanted to set Daniel over the entire realm. He says there at the end of verse, uh, verse, four, verse 3, sorry, the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Now, I don't know if this means that the other two presidents were going to be without a job. If he was just going to eliminate those two and make all the princes answer to Daniel, that could be. Or it could be that he was going to create another position for Daniel where he would be over the presidents and they would answer to him and then he in turn would answer to the king. It could have been sort of like what Joseph found in Egypt when he became the second in command under Pharaoh. It could have been something similar to that. But either way, the presidents weren't happy about this. They weren't happy that Daniel was preferred over them and that he was going to get this position of honor uh, within the Persian kingdom. Now, if you look there at verse 4, it says, Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find none occasion nor fault, for as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. So these other presidents weren't pleased that the king was thinking of putting Daniel over the entire empire. Perhaps it was jealousy. Maybe they thought that, you know, they were upset that they didn't get that position, that the king didn't look at them with the same kind of favor that he looked at Daniel, and they thought, surely I should have been the one that was promoted. The Bible talks about how envy is one of the most dangerous things when it comes to the Christian life. In the book of Psalms, it speaks about how who can stand before envy. You know, there's people that are violent, there's people that are wicked, but envy, jealousy, is something that moves people to do terrible things. They wanted to end this man's career and his life, possibly because of jealousy. It could have been because of history, though. Again, he was a Jew, he was from a conquered people, he was a foreign national. Again, he'd worked in the previous administration. Perhaps they didn't think he was worthy to hold that position. It could be, though, that they were just afraid. Maybe they were afraid that he would uncover some corruption in them. They knew how good he was at the job that he had. And they thought, if he's over us, we're going to answer to him. And he might find some corruption in our dealings. It might have been all three of those things. But in any event, they weren't happy that he was about to be promoted by the king. So the two presidents and the princes, they began to look for an occasion against Daniel. The word occasion there gives the idea of a pretext or a pretense. Just some reason, um, no, no matter how invalid it might be that we can attach importance to, that's what we're looking for, something that we can accuse him of. They were looking for an instance of corruption, some time when he'd taken a bribe, or some time when he'd uh, perverted the course of justice, some time when he had uh, given out money when he shouldn't have done, or some time of negligence when he forgot to do something. Or he let something go that the king had ordered him to do and he'd just forgotten about it and, and not dealt with it as he should. They're looking for some area where they can accuse him of. Or maybe an abuse of power where uh, Daniel went beyond what the king had allowed him to do and used his position for his own benefit. They're looking for something. And they thought, surely, he's been in Babylon for a long time. Uh, by this time, Daniel's probably in his 70s. He's been there since he was a you know, young man. And we're now ending the near, uh, we're getting near the end of the time of the captivity uh, by the time Darius comes in. So he could have been well into his 70s. They thought, surely there's going to be something in his life that we can find and we can pin him down and we can get this man out of the Persian government. Their goal was to discredit him. Their goal ultimately was to end his life. 
and to put him to death. We know how the story goes. He ends up being thrown in the lion's den, and God protects him. But incredibly, none of the presidents or the princes were able to find anything against Daniel. Two presidents, 120 princes, were examining Daniel's life. They were examining Daniel's kingdom affairs, examining his government dealings, and they found nothing to accuse him of. I don't know if there's any politician today that could say that. I mean, if we go to examine their affairs, it's it's a shady business working in government today. And in all the time that he'd been in Babylon, when he first came into Babylon, he interpreted uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and he's placed over one of the provinces. Then later, again, by Belshazzar, made third in command over the whole kingdom. And now he's one of the presidents. And in all that time working in government, there was no case that they could find to bring against him. That's incredible when you think about it. Now, these were men who were used to searching through records and finding things out. It was their job to make sure that the king received no damage. The presidents were used to scrutinizing the princes. And the princes were used to scrutinizing those who were under them. Again, balancing the books, looking through ledgers, looking through records, making sure all the laws were being upheld, making sure everyone was carrying out their responsibility, and holding people accountable. So if there were any discrepancies, if there were any instances of corruption, they were used to finding it out and dealing with it. And now all of them have combined. And yet they still found nothing in this man's life. And that's, again, it's incredible when you think about it. They knew how to spot corruption. And they knew how to find the indiscrepancies in the accounts when they didn't add up. They didn't find anything against Daniel. Listen to this. Because Daniel had nothing to hide. It's not that Daniel was just really good at covering his tracks. You know, he was doing shady things on the side and he'd messed some things up over here, was negligent in some area here, and, and he knew how to hush people up and how to, you know, how, how to uh, cover himself with the paper trails and all of that. It wasn't that he would, was doing unfaithful things and he knew how to get away with it. No, Daniel had nothing to hide. He had been faithful and there weren't any errors or any faults in him. They found nothing. Now, on one hand, this is a testament to Daniel's diligence and his faithfulness. That not only was he loyal to the king, not only did he do that which is right in the sight of God, avoiding corruption, avoiding doing anything that was evil, avoiding abusing the power that he had, but on the other hand, it attests to God's grace and God's help in his life. Not only did they not find any corruption or any false dealings, they didn't even find any errors or any faults in him. I don't know about you, but I'm prone to making errors and faults. I'm prone to not not necessarily doing bad things, although I do. I'm a sinner like everyone else. But I'm prone to making mistakes, um, taking the wrong turn. I do it all the time. And my wife's like, we need to go that way. So I end up going down the road and finding a place to do a U-turn and going back the other direction, I'm prone to making mistakes, to go in the wrong direction. And it's incredible that these men searched his life and they didn't even find an error or a mistake in any of his kingdom dealings. And I have to say that that was only by God's help. That's not something that we can do as as, as humans. We're prone to faults. We're prone to failings. We're prone to making mistakes. 
But I believe God had raised him up for a specific purpose. And God was using him in a great way. And the Lord knew that that was going to happen. And God preserved him. It was by God's grace. And it's remarkable what you and I can do by the grace of God. Things that we cannot do in and of ourselves when we have the Lord's help. Verse 5 said, Then said these men, We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. The enemies of Daniel realized that they wouldn't find any fault in Daniel's kingdom affairs. They realized we're not going to find any instances of corruption. We're not going to find any abuse of power. We're not going to find any time where he was negligent in carrying out the king's commands. Despite going through his affairs with a fine-tooth comb, they found nothing. The more they dug, the deeper they went, the more faithfulness they uncovered. There wasn't even a hint of corruption there. And it was then that they realized the only thing they could use against him was his relationship with God. These men all knew that Daniel served the Lord. What an incredible testimony that they all knew that he served the Lord. Again, Daniel was in a hostile nation. He's in a pagan country. He's far from home. He's part of a conquered people, and he's there faithfully serving his God to the point where everybody knew that Daniel was a servant of the Lord. I mean, I wonder if people could say that about us. I wonder if people took a close look at our life and they would say, you know what? They love God. They serve their Lord. They're faithful to God's house. They love reading the scriptures. They spend time in prayer. They obey God. They're a servant of the Lord. Even in this pagan land, Daniel was serving his God and the people could see it. Now, since they couldn't catch him doing anything illegal, they had to make his worship of God illegal. And that's something we've seen throughout history uh, when it comes to Christianity and Baptists. That they couldn't find them doing illegal things, so they had to make being a Baptist illegal. And our forefathers were persecuted and killed throughout history. Um, we, we're kind of detached from it today. Um, but if, um, there was persecution in England until the late 1700s. And even here in America, when this nation was first founded, our Baptist forefathers faced persecution. I don't want to get into all that, but the, the thing they had to do was to make worshiping God illegal. Again, we know Daniel was eventually thrown in the lion's den. And God protected him and brought him out in a miraculous way. You know, all of this got me thinking. What if someone examined my life the way these men examined Daniel's life? What if I had two presidents and 120 princes, you know, men that were good at digging and that were good at finding things, that were good at uncovering things, What if they took a close look at my life? What would they find? Would they find that I've been the father that I ought to be? That I love my children, that I spend time with them, that I care for them? That I bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Would they find that I've been a good husband, that I've loved my wife and tried to meet her needs and care for her? Would they find that I've been a faithful pastor, a shepherd to the flock that God's given me, patiently teaching them and preaching the word of God to them. What about your life? If someone went over your life examining the things that you do, the places you go, the things you say, 
your business dealings, your work life, your family life, what would they find? Would you be able to say with Daniel that they could find nothing? Or would you say, you know, there's some things that they would uncover that would embarrass me? I think we honestly should take stock of our life. What would turn up if our lives were examined the way Daniel's life was examined? God help all of us to be like Daniel, faithful in everything that we do. You know, Daniel was faithful to King Darius. But you and I serve a greater king. Amen. We serve the king of kings and lord of lords. And we should be no less faithful to him than Daniel was to King Darius. Daniel was faithful to the king because he was faithful to God. Amen. And that's what it comes down to for us. One day, God is going to hold us accountable for how we've lived and how we've handled our kingdom affairs. We're in the kingdom of God if we're believers. He is our king We're serving him. We have an obligation to be faithful to him in all that we do, in all of our dealings, not just when we're here in church, in our families, when we're at our place of employment, whatever we might be doing, we need to be keeping in mind that we're servants of the king. And we need to keep our affairs above board. We need to keep our conduct in line with the word of God. You know, God's examining our life right now. That's the thing we don't tend to think about. We can hide things from other people. We can live a a, a facade in front of those around us. But God sees our every thought, our every motive. He sees our every action, and he's weighing them. And the Bible tells tells us that one day we're all going to give an account of our life before him, and all of those things are going to come out. That day can be a day of great rejoicing for us, or it can be a day of deep regret and sorrow. I'd rather have some rejoicing when I stand before him. I'd rather him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I'd rather him say, you know, you served me throughout your life and you were faithful to me. And to have him reward me for my service to him.